It's a first for the Timbers! I'm just so proud of this team. One game, one expert, and then on to the next one. I'm Richard Farley, and this is the Post-Match Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the 35th episode of this Post-Match Podcast, our return from vacation's the wrong word. Uh, sabbatical is definitely not what I had. Just a couple of weeks where I couldn't do the podcast, but with the 34th episode with my friends Steph and Gab, we're back on track, and here in this episode recorded yesterday, Sunday, in Seattle, I'm joined by another friend, Jen Cooper. Things that I've learned since I recorded the intro for the last show. One, the U.S. is going to be playing Ecuador on Thursday, something that I should have remembered, uh, given that I'm going to that game and I'm going to be stalking U.S. players and coaches all week to try to get their quotes to become stories. And uh, secondly, I need to get going to the place where I'm going to be watching Mexico play its last Copa America group stage match in 52 minutes. So, without further ado, here's me and Jen Cooper after the Seattle Reigns 1-0 victory over the Houston Dash at Memorial Stadium. They were just like, wow, that's awesome! Uh, so for people that haven't recognized the voice, I'm with Jen Cooper, who everybody will, <laughs> oh, great, now every, yeah, everybody will know from... It's Route Southwest right now, right? Is the broadcast are on Route Southwest? Uh, most of them are. Yeah, but they Most will, of them are, so yeah. Most people who listen to this will know you from YouTube. But yeah. know that the, most of those broadcasts are also locally within Southwest Texas going out. Her and Matt Peterson, Salem born Matt Peterson, uh, are on the broadcast for the Houston Dash. And uh, people know who Jen Cooper is. She's the keeper. Everybody <laughs> that listens to this surely listens to uh, the Mixed Zone podcast distributed through Howler and etc. So um, I, I wanted to get that in there because I was going to shift a little bit on Chris here. Okay. I think people lose sight of the fact. That just because Houston's not selling out BBVA, they still have a very strong fan base. And I don't know, I get the impression that there is still a very big risk that that fan base can wane, but they're good. They're good right now. That's, I, I, they're just not as good as people, they're just not as good as Portland. That's the thing. Well, as, as a native Houstonian, um, you know, I've, I've got almost 50 years perspective on this, you know, and I've, I've seen teams come and go. I mean, seriously, we saw the Oilers leave, you know, and there were people that were upset and people that weren't upset, just like it's entertainment. I, I, I think we the do Texans have... The Texans are a better franchise than oh, the Oh, well, yeah. So. I mean, Bob McNair and Jamie Roots yeah. have I mean, their, you, have you their shit together. You could predict that when Adams took the team and went away, right. but the Texans are a model franchise. You know, and, and what the Astros did last year, you know, was, was amazing. And they, I miss having time. the Comets, but oh. we are, we are, I mean, I have to admit, we are a Fairweather fan kind of town. And but, I, don't, no, I, don't, I don't know. Most places are. I, I think a lot of that comes from we're so spread out geographically. Yes. Okay, so you've got a big base to reach that is kind of expensive to reach. And it means for most people, it's going to be a, a pretty big drive. Um, it's also, it's your fourth largest city in, in the country, with all kinds of amazing entertainment options. When you talk about recreation, symphony, art, yada, yada, yada. Even you if know. you don't talk about that, Houston is one of the most competitive sports entertainment markets 
right. in the outside of New York. Right. And and it's easy for us to forget when we're so in, engaged in soccer as a job that this is ultimately entertainment and you're competing for entertainment dollars. You right. know, that the Dynamo still have to be very cognizant of when Texans games are, when Astros games are, especially because we share the parking lot. <laughs> you know, um, so it has been tough to see the ebb in in attendance, though it was just a little over a year ago that we kicked off the season with two sellouts in a row. And I know from being in the back of the house, some of the highest scan to distro ratios they had ever seen, where it's tickets distributed relative to tickets actually scanned that people actually came in and used. Scan to distro ratio, wow. Yeah, so it's it's like... That's just my phrase that I'm making up. I'm that's sure, an I'm, awesome phrase. I'm sure there's a more technical term, no, that sounds, term for that. That sounds like it's like analytics driven. <laughs> like you're Chad Murphy on my podcast right now. <laughs> well, and, and we know Wosa fans, of course, are always like, there's not 5,000 people there. It's like, well, but there are probably 5,000 tickets distributed. You know, and, and we've had these sellouts at BBVA where clearly there's tons of open sections. So they're doing a great job selling to corporates, corporate yeah. groups, that kind of stuff. But... Obviously, the piece that draws people to the game is... But this is a problem on the Dynamo yeah. side, too. Yeah. This is not... You, oh, no, no, no. I meant that yeah. as Dynamo. I meant that as Dynamo. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, yeah, it, I mean... Because yeah. so like, Dash haven't had a sellout. Dynamo has had sellouts. Yeah. And yes. you've seen large swaths of those This is something on, that yeah. Loso fans need to know about the market. That Houston is the center of business in its neck of the world. That's the whole reason why Houston is as big a city as it is right now. Yeah. Is that this disparate landmass in the southern, southern North America decided this one place is where all the money is going to go. But because of that, a lot of the tickets that get sold to Dynamo Games are package tickets and corporate deals, and the stadium never looks full. Right. And it's also why a couple times they've had trouble mobilizing people on short turnarounds for even playoff games. The year, was it four years ago when there was the monsoon close to the playoff game when yeah, they, only yeah. got, they only got 8,000 people out? Well, part of that is because mobilizing the fan base is is a unique task for Houston. And the Dynamo are a very successful franchise, so I don't even know why I'm even like using these borderline euphemisms for this. They don't need excuses. They have challenges just like any other organization, but the Dash inherit those challenges too. Because one of the virtues of being an MLS team in NWSL is that you have that whole customer list that's built up. Right. But the Dash's customer list is unique, as opposed to Portland, where Portland really is individual people within the community. But Houston, it's a bunch of, well, not a bunch of, there are individual people, but there are also a bunch of large-scale relationships in there right. that are mixed in. Right. So it's, it's just like every city, it's a very unique town. Uh, but it, on, on the Dash side, the numbers are still positive. They're just not earth-shattering like people think that they should be. Well, especially when you see you know what Orlando's put up, even though I do think it's surprising how Orlando dropped after it seems like how gonna, much they yeah, dropped. It seems I mean, like they're going to end up dropped. in the same but world. Orlando and Portland, the difference is there's very little other professional sports They're, and those really yes. are smaller markets absolutely um, those I, are, those I, are I, target markets for both MLS and NWSL I loved hearing from Phil Rollins about how he had people come up to him and say I've lived here my whole life and I've never felt so engaged with the community that they felt that, that what cool. Orlando City as a club has done has really pulled a lot of people together that's now amazing. obviously that's a much bigger challenge for the Dynamo coming into a market that already when, when they came in already had Football, baseball, basketball, and hockey. Now we no longer have hockey. Um, There's a hockey team. They're AHL. 
Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, apparently, that, that team has been there for a long time, though. The arrows yeah. off and on. Yeah, Forty, yeah. 40 Howe, may you rest in peace, actually played in Houston with in the sons. 70s with, with his, his sons. sons. Yes. Yeah, yeah, had to throw that out there. but um, Didn't have to, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> the, there's a lot to compete with, and I still see, and it still chaps my ass, I love to use that phrase, that I'll, I'll see articles written about you know, oh, here's the major sports. Or Texas Monthly even wrote an article saying, you know, Houston hasn't won a championship since 1994. I'm like, excuse me, MLS 2006-2007, you can't tell me that that doesn't count. You can't tell me that anymore. I think they did. What? Right. <laughs> but it, it, it's like, that argument is so 15 years ago. Yeah. You know. Yeah, we need to change how we think about sports in this country in general. Yeah. Like, we think and, was, and that the copy editor, that, that it's like nobody, oh. it didn't click to anybody in the whole chain of command for that. that At the beginning of this NWSL season, I turned in something on Portland about, you were talking to me about this article earlier today about how the Thorns are going to be fine without Alex Morgan. And at one point in there, I said, you know, this is a market that hasn't experienced a title winner since 1977. And Jeff Kasu put in there, hey, Richard, the Thorns won the first NWSL season. Uh, I said in addition to the, to, in addition to the Timbers winning last year, it's like, Hey, uh, by the way, Richard, Mr. Uh, you Woso. Yeah, Mr. You tend to cover Woso regularly. I don't know if you know about this, but there's a league in this country now, and a team from your hometown won the title three years ago. And my response to him was, that's absolutely true, but honestly, I don't think anybody really thinks of that as being the year of the Thorns. Like, Christine Sinclair kind of wills them to the final. Tobin Heath has this great free kick at the end. Yeah. Nobody thinks about that as and a title-winning team. Flash hadn't lost at home since, like, April. Aaron Linus did an awesome job that year. Yeah. Abby Wombach was great that year. Yeah. She was really great. Yeah. 2013, that was... That was that should have been the World Cup year. They should have just stopped the league after that year. Yeah. Or, or just say, hey, can we have the World Cup early? Because Abby's like, oh, she's al fuego. We yeah. need to do it. You know, the U.S. didn't do very well in the World Cup without her either. <laughs> um, so for people that haven't figured this out by the title in their download, uh, we're in Seattle right now. We're about an hour and a half removed from the Seattle rain, getting their first win, and it seems like six weeks. One of those weeks was an off week, but... They had lost to the Thorns, they had drawn with the Thorns, they had lost to the Pride, they had lost to the Red Stars, and they had a week off. This is a team that was sliding until today, where they had a one nothing victory over the Dash. I would say that uh, the Dash did what they could. They didn't look very good, but they didn't have Carly Lloyd in the lineup. They didn't really have very much to threaten them. The Rain's look, Rain probably looked a little better than the one nothing result, but I didn't really see them scoring a second goal. The Dash were pretty solid at the back. So let's talk about this game for a little bit because I think we have two teams that appear to be headed in opposite directions, even though I'm not sure that I'm not sure that either team is really ready to compete at either end of the spectrum. I don't think the Dash are that bad, even though I think they're in seventh in the league right now. I don't think the right. Rain are that good, even though they're two-time shield holders at this point. Well, let's start with your area of expertise, the Dash. Where, what did you expect from today's game? I was really, to use a big word, trepidatious going into this game. That is a big because word. Not I think get, I have to drink after that not, not getting to play the game against the Spirit that got rained out on the 27th and having that break. And I wasn't even aware that Becca Morris was sick and Rachel Daly wasn't back from England yet, you know, that I, I was like, breaks don't always serve us well. So I was worried that yeah. they might not bring it, but 
What I saw defensively was some serious teeth. Um, I, 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 think I was Carrie, impressed. I think Carrie Ricaro is getting really comfortable. I think she and Ellie Brush are going to work really well. Lydia Williams, of course, was on fire. And as Ann Odong put on Twitter, it's like, I don't know why she's not considered, routinely considered as one of your top five keepers in the world. And it's like week in, week out, especially considering well, let's, let's, World Cup yeah. and, and Asian qualifying. But that's, well, that's a separate story. Let's just story. test this really quick because that's, that's interesting. So, if we were to name the best keepers in the world, no matter what you think of Hope Solo, she's in the conversation. Yeah. Erin yeah. McLeod's in the conversation. Who else are we putting here besides Lily Williams? And does that mean that. That's active. Yeah. Because so, Nadine's retired, you know. Um, I think this Maybe pro- Karen Birdsley, but I would, I would still put Lydia Williams over Karen Birdsley. Wow. Is Alyssa Nair one of the top four or five goalkeepers in the world? But I think I th- part of that is, that is we're not exposed to as many keepers yeah, I think, as we are on the men's side. I think what this shows is that, like, um, uh, Young Faye from China, I would put in the, this conversation, too. Mm. But it, it shows that we don't really think about goalkeepers that often. So it's really easy for us to say, oh, she's one of the top five goalkeepers in the world. But when you actually sit down and write the list, you might not be able to name five. But you're going to discover you haven't really thought about this very yeah. much. Yeah, like, you're like, oh, wait a minute. Ashlyn Harris. What about, you right. know, Audie Franz? Yeah. yeah. Like Nicole Barnhart. <laughs> Like when um, when the holiday was active, I would always say she's one of the top five players in the world, and then people would challenge me on it, and I would list fifteen players because I actually had thought about it at that point. With goalkeepers, if somebody asked me to name the top five goalkeepers in the world, we would have the same conversation we had right now, where I would realize I probably shouldn't be saying things like who is the top five goalkeepers in the world. In fact, even with like Hope Solo, where people kind of recognize she's probably one of most people would put her number one for better or worse. I'd probably sit here and go, you know, I haven't really broken down how goalkeeper X set, sets up for shots, the angles that she sets herself up at, her reaction time coming off her line, her decision making, her stability on crosses, her distribution, all these things that go into a goalkeeper, the same way that I've analyzed that with Hope. Because all those things with Hope, I can tell you how I feel about her game. And I can tell her there are holes in her game. I can't tell you that there's another keeper that's better than her at any of those things, though. Well, I remember... For the Women's World Cup, you know, she got the Golden Glove, and that totally made sense because I thought of the other keepers. They should have gave that to Becky Sauerbrunn. The Golden Glove? All the awards should have gotten to Becky Sauerbrunn. Because it's like the Japanese keeper had two horrible mistakes, you know. um, Karen Bardsley was up there. Nadine Unger didn't have a great final tournament, you know. It's like... Solid keep you know, Sarah Buhati from from France, but no one that we were just like, hot damn. <laughs> Buhati is. You know, as, as opposed to the men's World Cup, I felt like, wow, it was a tough choice between Navas and Neuer and yeah and Howard. And but I think this is a place where people like you and I should should pick up our games a little bit because we do see stuff and and as much as anybody is qualified to say this, I should say. Yeah. Like she watches more soccer than anybody, so if she says it, I actually do believe it. But for somebody like you and I, like. It's always helpful to go kind of go, okay, but what does that mean when it comes out of my mouth? I know how much soccer yeah. I watch. I can definitely name 20 keepers, but I don't know that I know enough about those 20 keepers. Yeah. Like yeah. you mentioned, A.D. French. I don't think it's so out of the realm of possibility that she's one of the top five goalkeepers in the world, based on what I see of her. But well, having done the NWSL Almanac and seeing her stats from that first season... Because that, that's was, the season that I saw the least of, and I'm like, oh, wow, I need to go back and watch these games with her. She was the best goalkeeper, one, one of the two best goalkeepers in the league that year. Um, I don't, I think Barney won the award that year. I think so. Um, and then because of injury and contract, she ends up going overseas for a little bit. She comes back, 
And for people that watch Portland, there is a distinct difference between her and the goalkeeper of the year last year, which we know that was kind of like a, hey, nice goal, Michelle. Yeah. <laughs> Give me the award. But we see how much better she is than an average NWSL goalkeeper. And I think she's an elite goalkeeper. But she'll need to go through a whole season before she gets back in that conversation. I think she's the successor to Hope. I think a lot of people reasonably think that Alyssa Nair is. So we'll do see. You, do you think that's why Adi got into camp, this last camp? Because there really wasn't a reason for them to bring in four well, keepers. Yeah, you and I had talked about this on one of your podcasts. Like, who is number four? Well, yeah, I don't know. Because, you know, Jill was saying, you know, we brought in this many people so we could play 11 versus 11. With how many goalkeepers? <laughs> because if you subtract the goalkeepers and then, this, and then Christy withdraws and they don't replace her. Right. It's like, oh. Well, you could have, but well, yeah. But this is actually a complaint that I've made for years about the women's national team. It's like, you don't have to cap the number of people you bring in. Bring in 31 people if you think you need to look at 31 people. Of course, we know why they don't do that. But that doesn't mean they have to get playing time either. Right. So, so we'll see. Let's get back to the game because you All were right. talking about the dash for a little bit. I 100% agree with you. The defense was impressive. There were times today where you really saw Fishlock and Little... Fishlock looks 100% healthy. Get yes, that speed does. coming out of midfield and really attack the team. And even the goal they gave up, the goal they gave up is going to be on a shot in women's soccer that you're going to be fine giving, giving up that shot. There are a few players that are going to make that. Vassalon is not one of those that people on the was, list. It was an amazing shot. Maybe she should be on the list now. And, that, and that's her first professional goal. And, and you know, She is so good. We talked to Laura Harvey post-game about that where it's like she missed her entire rookie season and is still... Been, been struggling, but you know, Laura said she really found her confidence in their yeah. friendly against Arsenal. And uh, you know, Randy had said when we talked about this game that that was like the five minute period where they really backed off that they shouldn't have backed off. I mean, she had way too much space yeah. to rip that shot. Like, I don't want to take anything away from that shot. Like, there was nothing Lydia Williams could have done to stop that shot. Yeah, I like how Randy put that because it really makes reminds you that there are ebbs and flows in games, right. and there, when a team comes into the ascendancy. It not only takes a lot of physical effort to maintain that, but it takes a lot of mental effort. And the dash had been good for a period of time. It wasn't generating a lot of chances, but they weren't yielding the chances that they were in the first half. They, they, were, were, hanging with, they were hanging with the rain in a way we've never seen them do before. This is the right. longest that they've ever held the rain scoreless. This is the closest game they've ever played. The only time they've held the rain to just one goal. And, of course, you don't get three points from that. Well, but, but you got to take... You gotta, take something from that. But even talking about it like we do other games kind of understates the challenges for Houston because part of the reason I think Laura respects Randy so much is the effort he gets out of a team that plays the exact same way that she does. Maybe the tactics aren't exactly the same, but the setup and the core principles that they try to emphasize are the same. So you're going to get two 4-3-3s going up against each other every time. And the big difference is Seattle has phenomenal players and Houston is still a growing organization. Although Houston's a three-year-old team and when the the rain were three years old, anyways, it's a different environment now. But I think that's what makes it very difficult when the Dash are in these games to compete or at least to sustain the level that they need to because ultimately at each place on the field, they're not up to the level of the rain. And, and I'm, I'm going to be really intrigued when we get to the end of the season and see where Orlando Pride falls and do really a comparison. I'm about them right now. To do a comparison of expansion team versus expansion team. Yeah. Because, sure, the rain's only one year older, but came in at the beginning where your allocations were. That's a good point. A, a-, a- Rod, Pino, and, and Solo. Yeah. You know, 
um, Randy's allocations were Whitney Engen, who nobody knew, you know, and Kling. And of course, I didn't come to the middle of the season, but that, that's a whole separate discussion. That's but, not a good allocation. But, but those it, are, good, it, it, those are good players, but that's not a good allocation to get. Well, and the, the league, when you set up the system of allocation, there's no way to deal with expansion. I thought they were going to get press. Yeah. So, uh, I think Randy did too. People people didn't see the look on your face. People did not. It's like, why wouldn't you give the best player coming back in the league to the, the new team? Why wouldn't you give the expansion team the first draft pick? Well, I think there was a general... On the draft on the draft pick fund, I don't know. But I think there was a general feeling that Chicago got screwed in year one on the dispersal. Which, fair enough, they had LaPelbet and Boss as part of the dispersal. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, and Winters. And, which, they had such a they had such a strange allegation. Yeah, so they they basically punted on Winters to get a draft pick back, which turned into Julie Johnson. Phenomenal trade for both franchises. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they had to punt on year one because their allocation was so bad. The only team that arguably got a worse one was Western New York, but they got Abby and Carly. They just got one fewer player, so uh, they got a little bit screwed, but not as much. And they ended up in the title game. Yeah. So. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I was really surprised. And they I, weren't starting from scratch in the way that some of the other teams were starting from scratch. That's another. They had they ended up bringing a lot of players back, having somebody like McCall Zerboni be able yeah. to be a kind of a captain that carried over at least it's still the mentality on that team because that team very much was a McCall Zerboni. Let's yeah. let's take off your head and decapitate you, and then <laughs> if we throw it in the goal, maybe they'll get confused for the ball. Now that's the kind of play that we needed to see tonight. Seattle versus Houston was someone taking off someone's Jessica head. Jessica Fishlock almost broke somebody's ankles. Well, who was it? Jessica Fishlock went two foot, two footed into somebody tonight. Um, oh, it was um, was it? Was it Khalil? Was it? I think it was Kay. No, I can't remember. One of the attackers for Houston basically pulled up, and if she kept running, Fishlock might have been out of the game. But it, because she pulled up and saw Fishlock was going in hard, and I don't blame them either. But it was no. an example of like, look, you didn't come. You didn't make contact, so it's not a foul, but this was a dangerous play that altered the game. Like, goodbye. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's a, that's another podcast, but it's a fine line. Like, just because I don't run through the ball and don't get my ankles broken doesn't mean you didn't try a two-footed challenge. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I also feel like, I, I don't really feel like dwelling on Jessica Fishlock in that way because she came back. Yeah. But I, I felt like, I mean, as a Dash fan, you know, of course I'm biased that way. I was really proud of how they held the, you know, they held Seattle and really hung with them and not having Daly, not having Moros, you know, Moros was sick, Daly still not back from England, that the lineup was still a strong lineup, you know, yeah. uh, and of course still not having Carly, but I don't like to put a lot on that because, yeah. because we only had her for one game. So if you haven't adjusted haven't by her, now, haven't had her for two years, you know, yeah, <laughs> as, as, as Randy would say, um, and I liked Randy's comment post game about how, you know, the league is so much more even now. Yeah. So you don't have this. Well, here's here's the teams you're not going to be. Here's the teams you might be. Here's the teams that you should be. Um, you know, and you saw that in, in today's game that yeah. even when we know bottom line, Seattle has more talented players. You know, apples to apples that the dash could bring it, you know, and it yep. really came down to that one goal. And Laura seemed pretty frank about that, too. You know, it's like she felt we, like it could have gone the other way. Yeah, it's like we deserve well, the three points and thankfully we got it. I think it's a testament to Randy that except for maybe a six game stretch at the end of year one, 
when it was really clear the team was out and this team has always given teams trouble. But yeah. I think one thing tonight that was clear, and I kind of saved this when we were in the press box because we were talking to each other throughout, and we were talking about the Seattle midfield and how they maybe had the three best midfielders in the league. And oh, by the way, the other team happens to have Morgan Bryan, is that Morgan Bryan is obviously a national team stable at this point. But she's also not somebody that's going to pick up your team and really pick up the slack when a meaningful piece is around. She, yeah, she's not that player. Yes. And in that sense, I don't... It's One, I think it's unfair to look at teams and like, oh, they have these allocated players, therefore they should be at this level of team. Morgan Bryan is really, and I think this is unfortunate, developing into a complementary player. Um, she was a star at UVA. How she's paired. Yeah. Yes. She was a star at UVA that maybe point. if she came into a uh, situation where a team built around her, or maybe if the national team had kept her as an attacking midfielder, she would be somebody that could actually sway games for you. And now she's made, just seems like she's developing somebody that is only going to make your best player better. And so without Carly Lloyd in the team, or without like what a What number do you give that player? Hi, your role is to just make other people <laughs> you're better. The, you're the number question mark. Yeah. But without Carly Lloyd or Rachel Daly in the team, Morgan Bryant is not going to... She, she was a non-factor today. Like... I always keep my eye on Amber Brooks more than I was her because, okay, Brooks is Brooks is the person that's going to have to be the line of defense in front of the defense. She's going to have to deal with the, uh, the building that the midfield does for the Seattle side. Right. But it didn't have to be that way. If Morgan Bryan was as active as the other stars on the field, then Houston might have been able to might have been able to yeah, like, escape. Now that, now that I think about it, like, I don't really remember noticing her and Dressa doing much. Do we, like, need, I saw Amber do we need to look at the lineups? Because are we sure she played today? Yes, because I typed them. Yeah. I remember that. But yeah, it's like, it's like saw a lot of K, saw a lot of Chi. This His also, last name is pronounced Ubagagu, FYI. Yeah, I keep um, putting the emphasis on the, the yeah. first B syllable. But Ubagagu. yeah, we didn't see, we didn't really see Andres or, or, or Mo. I don't want to make this into like, oh, Morgan Bryant's bad. She's not bad. But when she came into the league out of UVA, where she had a stellar career. She's the number one pick. It's like, all right, like we're an expansion team, but we're getting augmented yeah, yeah. by this. There's the expectation that she is going to be an impactful player in this league. And I don't think it would be fair to call her an impactful player in this league. She just hasn't been an impactful player between the time she's been gone and the time she's actually been on the field. The question is, what is her future on the club level? And I'm a little bit What's worried. What's the right role? Yeah, for Amy? because this isn't the first time I've watched a Dash game and been like, Morgan Bryant's fine. She's not taking over this game. Well, She's and, not and the last back. game they played, she was playing Amber Brooks's role. She was playing the defensive yeah. mid, and Amber was a That was sub. the game Amber? Oh, Amber missed, missed the game entirely. No, that wasn't missing a game. Okay. That was Amber being used as a sub. Randy was mixing it up. Okay. Um, Mo was the defensive mid sitting back, and I, I didn't feel that that worked really well. Yeah. She, that was not a good piece for her. I think Morgan Bryan works as a defensive mid when you don't think of it as a defensive mid. It's somebody that's going to be the first first person to take the ball out of the defense to pick out the next pass. Yeah. But she's not going to be a ball winner. She's not going to be positionally sound in defense. As opposed to like Amber was like like that wall before the back line. Right. Amber's, also Amber's instincts are so good in that role. Yeah. But if you're going to play Morgan Bryan there, you need to have two really active players in front of her. So I'm not even sure if Carly was healthy that work because Carly is not that type of player. No. You need to have two space eaters in front yeah, of her. Yeah, that was the game against Orlando, which looked like it was going to end up 0-0. And then Kristen Edmonds had that... Great, great rocket off of a, a, very, have, a brilliant Leanne Sanderson assist where oh it's like goodness. 87th minute. You're like, oh crap, you know, because it did seem like neither midfield was really 
getting it together. Yeah. You know, and I remember since that was the first game where Amber sat when she was actually available, it's like, wait a minute, like, we need Amber there. Yeah. So I, I don't think we'll see that again. I don't think so either. I think, I think there's, you know, you and I talked about this a little bit, like what happens when Carly comes back because Randy has always played a 4-3-3 with this team, pretty much. Carly comes back, Andressa has played well. Looks like her and Brooks are players you want in the team. But if Carly comes back, that's a four people in midfield. And I kind of said, well, you can play her as a false nine and have Chioma coming in from one side and whoever, like Rachel, coming in from the other. All right, here's another option. Like, what if Morgan Bryan isn't one of your first, your three best midfielders? Yeah. And, She's and not going to get benched. I but. think this comes back to the point that we were talking about on, on my podcast that you brought up is we need to eventually get rid of the allocation system. And I think yeah. this is what the allocation system feeds is – well, it's my national team, or how can I not play her? It's like, no, the coach should really have the freedom to play whoever works. And, yeah. and, and since we're here talking Seattle-Houston, I think that's one of the things that Laura Hardy has done well since the beginning. She never gave someone the start because they were a national team. That's true. It, it, it's yeah. like, is it, do they have good form? Does it fit the system? You know, when Sydney LaRue was with the team in 2014, she wasn't a regular starter, but I think Harvey got a lot out of her. Yeah, because she figured out a good way to get her. It's, it's in the funny system. to think about that now because at the time it's like when she got traded here, it's like oh, perfect for the system. She she's such a she's such a beast pressing high. She's gonna have these people creating behind her. She might score sixteen goals this year because she scored like eleven for Boston the year before, but it was a very uneven eleven. I think she had multiple goals in three games and no goals in like sixteen of the games that year. Uh, but yeah, she they obviously just basically let her go at the at uh, the pre then the next preseason. Um, but yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that front. So I think we kind of know, you know, Houston was missing their best attacker today. Coming into the season, attack seemed, well. Well, would you say that's Carly or Rachel? It could be either. I don't think it's both. I think either one of them could have yeah. done. But Carly's knee injury, Rachel not being able to get back into the country. And it's like uh, Kalia, Chioma, Janine, they're all like on yeah. that verge, but it's like, and we saw the frustration for Randy. He's like, I want someone to step up and go, I, I want the goals. I would honestly trade Kalia. I know that's not a popular thing, but she has trade value, but she does. And I think she's, a, I think she's still a good player. I think her goal totals over the last couple years, her first couple years have underrepresented her contribution because they didn't have a lot of scoring options. But I also don't know that she's going to be somebody that ever scores double digits in this league. And before the season, I would have said differently. I would have said, look, this is somebody that is capable of creating scoring chances. Now I think and they for have the depth. First, for the, yeah, for the first season, for her to have so many good players around her, yeah. and especially with that 3-1 win to the start of the season, I was expecting that we were going to see an explosion of, of offense, especially yeah. how they could all work together. Yeah. That the goals were coming from one person, which really Kalia had to shoulder that burden for the last yeah. two seasons for the dash. She and Jessica McDonald mostly, you know, like but I, I felt like it was gonna we were gonna see some really fascinating combinations between them. And we we might still see that. We're we're still less than halfway through the season. Yeah. But I would I, you've, you've got the constant in and out of players and this is something that Randy and all the coaches I'm sure are frustrated by where it's like, I just want all the players together yeah. <laughs> to practice and then play a game. I, I want to be clear, Kalia's not getting traded, but yeah. in Los Angeles in January at the convention, I would trade her for a first-round draft pick or a higher pick in that allocation order that they have now. Uh, especially because next year's draft is going to be a killer, yeah. killer because draft. Because I, I like Obubagoo. Uh, Daly is a good one. I think Becky's a very flexible player. Uh, you're going to build this team around Carly Lloyd for a while. Uh, I think it's 
uh, and then you have the strength in midfield where you're going to want to start three other midfielders besides Carlos. Well, let, let's throw this out there, um, especially knowing that you know the CBA is going to be redone at the end of the year, and you know post Olympics you've got but two, isn't that, two isn't years. But is that a national team CBA? What does that have to do with the league? Never, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if I'm Carly Lloyd. Am I looking at, hey, I'm not getting any younger. I've never played in Europe. Yes. I'm Carly Lloyd. I'm signing for Leon tomorrow. Yeah. I'm taking uh, $425,000 a year to go to Leon because there's more money in there. And the Dash get nothing. Yeah. That, again, here's, here's another. Do they, get, do they get. Yeah, yeah. I guess it depends, huh? So think about, like, here's another downside of the allocation system. They would have her rights if she ever came back into the league. Right. But there's no, like,. Like when Taylor Twelman wanted to leave MLS and, and go abroad, if he had gone, if the league had let it happen, right. the league would have gotten a fee from. Yeah. You know, it's like there there won't be any of that. It's it's not like we a trade. Ask, yeah. It's not like a trade where, you know, when we dash traded to get Carly Lloyd, they gave up Whitney Engen, Becky Edwards, and a draft pick. We should ask know. the league about this. How does this work? Like how how are these players actually registered? Like how are they actually registered with? Oh, or with FIFA, rather, well, like, for yeah, their, their ITC. Yeah so, like, yeah, so like their registration would go through U.S. Soccer with, into the FIFA database. So are they registered to U.S. Soccer? Are they registered to the NWSL? Are they registered to their individual teams? Um, but, well, whenever somebody comes into the league, we always hear language like, the team is waiting for the ITC to come through. So that implies that the registration is going to the team level, not the league is waiting for the ITC right. to come through. But Journal, some journalists should ask about this. You're a journalist, aren't you? No, I am not. <laughs> and maybe her contract is only through next year, so it's not like I imagine all know, national team con players are yeah. only through because next year. you know I, I, I've seen that on the Dynamo side where yeah. you know when we lost Ricardo Clark and Stu Holden at the same time and. It's like you don't get anything because yeah. you just didn't renew a contract. I imagine all national team players are year to year, basically at this point. So we'll see. I mean, I should I should ask about that. I don't I don't imagine I will get an answer, but or is some of this stuff related to the CBA? I think it, I think it's all related to the CBA. So uh, and I think the agreement that they have with uh, you know basically the memorandum of understanding that's kind of an addendum to the CBA probably is interpreted as year to year contracts and when you play in the league it's this and like like as we know you get an extra stipend if you stay in the league I bet you that's I imagine that's interpreted as on a year to year basis so and then if you're someone like Christian Rampone who, who pulled out of the I don't think Leo's going to be interested in her <laughs> she pulled out of the June camp obviously not playing the Olympics Probably not going to be part of the national team. And now what? it's a part of the podcast when we cry. Aww, I didn't mean to do that. Yeah, but yeah, just like, yeah. But so how how do you transition as a club where it's like, obviously you want to keep that player. Yeah. And I think she could be an awesome club player for a few more seasons. She still well, is. Probably, you know, as long as she wants, really. She still is one of the top five or six central center backs you in know, the league. But can the club afford to do that? Yeah. You know, it's like I'm just kind of wondering those things well, because Ke- Keelan had to, Keelan Winters had to sign a new contract when she signed dropped her allocation yeah. status, which of course is a huge pay drop and everything like yeah. that. Yeah, but yeah, uh, you know they would have to sign a new deal. So that might be this, that might be a hint too that the national players are actually on year to year deals. Is that once you're dropped from a national team contract, it's not like you have anything that takes its place, or it's not like you had a two year contract with the national team. Once you're dropped, you're dropped. Once you're not allocated anymore, you're not allocated. And then on the other side of it, it um, I know you can add allocations mid-season. Yeah. So 
Allie Long, if she's going to Rio, well then yeah. you, you would kind of think, does Portland get some compensation? So here's the weird thing about this, because fans look at this as if allocation is a status that you earn, and the top X players are all allocated. That's how it should be. The top 23 players should be allocated. That's not the case. The case is they kind of look at the situation and like Portland predetermined. Doesn't, Portland doesn't need any more allocations. Like allocations, part of it is like we're covering the cost of this player. Portland doesn't need any allocations. I mean, in <laughs> fairness, they got some. They got some good ones, right? But yeah, like, Portland doesn't need the tax break that allocation comes with. So, I think that's where it's confusing for people on the outside. It's like, well, allocation means this. Allocation just basically means U.S. Soccer cuts a check. That's it. It, does, it doesn't even mean you're not part of the women's national team pool. That's completely different. It doesn't even mean you're not getting the stipend that goes along with being a women's national team member. That's completely different. Allocation is just like this weird tag that they put on you for basically the purposes of the initial allocation dispersal and to cover the cops. So are we getting to the point where allocation means injured or pregnant? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I mean I, and I brought this up on my own podcast. It just it made me cranky after the U.S. men lost to Colombia, and you know, people tweeted, "It's like the U.S. men just got five thousand dollars for for losing, and the U.S. women got zero for a tie." And I'm like, "Yeah." And Carly and Rapino and A Rod and Larue have been pulling a paycheck, and they haven't been playing. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I just, but that's another case where we talked about this before. Yeah. Journalism needs to be better and more balanced because when you see uh, when you see how many women, you gotta you gotta get the whole story because it's too, well you you can't break down these issues to like 140 characters. But also when you see what was it five women's national team players go on the Daily Show and have this very favorable sketch about them, there should be another organization going out there. Yeah, that wasn't lies, but it is only one half of the story. And you know what? We talked about this before with another thing. If you hear the full story, you're probably still going to think a certain way. But them not telling you this other half of the story makes me think you probably shouldn't go to the Daily Show for your for, for this information or be retweeting their screen grabs. I, I want to see John Oliver take on this topic, but both sides. Because his, yeah, be his, his research is so good. And he's such a soccer fan. Yeah, I, I love when he told Dave Letterman. Well, maybe that's why he hasn't done this. Maybe yeah. he looked into it and was like, "Yeah, there's nothing funny maybe, here." Like, <laughs> I I would pay them, but we're going to put this into a show. It's just going to be oh this, oh this, oh this, oh this, back and forth. It's not good television. That's what I think. That's maybe why. Maybe that's why he didn't do it. Yeah, it's like there really is not a clear side. I side with the women's national team. I but I side with them if they're willing to kind of. Look, if you're willing to just do what the men do, I totally side with you. If you think what you're doing now basically is tantamount to discrimination, that's fine. But like, like we were talking about on your podcast, what do you want? Like, identify yeah. what you want. I, I side with them if they're fighting for more than just the 23 players that seem uh, to always be allocated. I know, yeah. But it's like, if you're just fighting for this small collective, this little oligarchy, it's like, I have a hard time yeah, it's not even like that. It's not even like I'm against them at that point. It's just yeah. like, I just don't care at that point. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm totally for you getting whatever you need to, but if you want me to care, you got to tell me that this isn't about... D- did I tell you that someone tweeted at me last summer? They were started a, a, a GoFundMe to, to raise more money for the national team so they could get $19 million like the, the, the German men. And I didn't respond to that, but I did talk on the podcast. It's like, the German men didn't get $19 million. The DFB, the Deutsche Fußballbund, yeah, yeah. <laughs> got $19 million. I don't think they gave it all to the players. 
well. But, but I mean, that's that just, a, yeah. I mean, that just shows you the media environment we're in. And I feel bad because, I mean, it's, it's not a... And, not, and then, like, the Senate and the House of Representatives talks about it. I'm like, why are they talking Tucker? Why are oh these God. people, of all people... Yeah, I mean, people who follow me on Twitter know every once in a while I'll be like, oh God, I can't believe this this thing is being reported like this. And I feel bad when I do that. But at the same time, I do think it's important for people to know that just because something appears in a reputable place doesn't mean that that has been even fact-checked or gone through a logic check or that the person who wrote it gave it to an editor who also knows the story It can provide a common sense check to it before they put it out into the world. So. It, it broke my heart in summer 2014 when I was reading in the New York Times Magazine, of all places, an article about the World Cup, and the writer said, I don't know why they call it World Cup when only 32 teams are in it. Wow, I want to light that magazine on fire. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> I know, I was like... Well, clearly you haven't done any research of how those 32 teams got there, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about the rain. Um, general feeling from Laura Harvey was that the team made progress. I think that's undeniable. They look better than they have in a couple of months. one nothing result speaks to that. Uh, the midfield looked like the dominant midfield that we're used to seeing. But you brought up Randy's thoughts after the match, that the field is just so much more compact this year. And I would say from one to seven or so. I would say the only teams that we can really segregate, it's probably one to eight, because the only teams that I would really look at and say, they're not going to be there at the end are Boston and Sky Blue. But they could even throw together a good run at the end, at least challenge. Yeah, I think they maybe, can. Maybe not well, hit, the, hit the top four, yeah, but suddenly I think be they like, can win any game. Yeah. I think as bad as Boston has been, and I'm not on this, this train that says that Boston is good. Like, there's a lot, there's a lot, oh, they haven't scored a goal yet, but they've been unlucky. Guess what? That's how you not don't score goals. You get unlucky. They're not a good team. From the way they play to the personnel they have, they're not good. But the, the gap between first and tenth in this league isn't that big talent-wise. They right. can win any game. Right. We even see in the Premier League, like, the worst team in the league can beat the best team. Well, especially when we're about to enter that era, not era, but, but phase of the season where... Your national team is not just U.S. national teamers, but Canadian, Australian, right. Brazilian, etc. Go away for the, Olympi- the Olympics. Yeah, there's a lot of Brazilians in the league. Like Orlando, yeah. I feel like they're going to be decimated. Houston and Orlando both have multiple starters who are going to be away. And the, the brilliance Brazil. of Seattle, I, I think Laura Harvey knows a trick. You, you, you take those people from Great Britain that never get to play in the Olympics. Yeah. You know, Kim Little, Jess Fishluck, ain't going anywhere. Well, even Manon Melise, who's coming yeah. back in a couple weeks. Like, yeah. Yeah, she's done. So. Yeah, so they lose solo, but they've all, they already know that Haley Kottmeyer is an adequate replacement. Yeah, they, are, they more know. than know that. They haven't had Pino all season. They didn't have her a lot in the previous seasons. Yeah. So it's, they're not going to stumble the oh, way Keel, a lot Keel is on a national team. Oh, darn. <laughs> Shucks. Oh, lost that allocation. <laughs> oh. Yeah. No, I, I completely So I, I feel like their, their timing is pretty good. And I thought it was interesting that Laura said in the press conference... She's like, if this is what we have to go through to win at the end, great. You know, yeah, you, that, you saw my eyebrows kind of pick up at that yeah, one. I kind of that, had to do a follow-up that, on You know, that. she's like, when we had whatever crazy winning streak it was, she goes, we played poorly in one game. So yeah. when we had to play well, we didn't. And so this these challenges that they've been through, you know, it's like what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. And, yeah. and, and so now to be hit, finding that groove, hitting that momentum, and everybody else is going to start losing players. Like, you're sitting in the catbird seat. Yes. So you alluded to it. There was a point today, and this I, I had to follow up on this to make sure that she's... She I wanted her to augment it. And she said, you know, 
exactly what you said. If this is what we have to go through to win a title, great. And so I followed up. So you're saying that if you had had stretches like this the last two years that you would have been better because multiple times she said, and we didn't win a title the last two years. Like she's really like, look, it's all great. And it's so clear that yeah. she's like in anything. People only talk about Kansas City, the 2015 champion. Little, There's a little of that Every, coming up. Everybody yeah. knows the, the regular season champion means nothing. You don't think of the Flash as the 2013 regular season champion. You I, think yeah. of it as... So, Lawrence won the final. Yeah, so now I'm remembering how this came about because I was asking about whether the team had lost their era of invincibility and how that affects how teams approach them because it does seem like teams think they're beatable now. They're gettable now in a way that they weren't before. They're, they're pressing higher. They're not scared to go after them. They're not just staying compact anymore. They're going after them a little bit. Uh, she brought up a good point that Portland didn't do that, but there are reasons for that. Portland was missing six starters last time they faced each other. But... I thought that was the most interesting thing out of the press conference today. The fact that she legitimately believes that if they had gone through crappy times the last two years, they would have been more prepared to go through that crappy time in the finals. I, and I and I totally agree. Um, I don't know if I agree, but I, I think it's worth talking about on a podcast. Well, and, and, and to reference the thing that you like that I reference the most, the WSA, um, it was a challenge for a lot of those players back then to be taken apart from the national team yeah, and to be in eight different teams and suddenly eight of them are captains where it used to just be one or two. I remember me and Am talking about how tough that 2001 season was because she wasn't with her her group. Yeah. It was always her comfort zone. She was expected to be captain where she had never really been a captain <laughs> kind of person. That's kind of funny to think about now. You know, you know yeah. it's, it's like, and of course she knew she'd have to be the face of the league. Her marriage was falling apart. You know, it's just it's just like they they struggled. Yeah. You know, um, but the changes they made for the second season. So they finished next to last. They got Abby as the number two overall pick in the WSA draft. But not just getting Abby, but like Abby and Mia working together. Mia no longer being captain. That they figured out it's it, it's like no, just because you're in the national team doesn't mean you're the right yeah. captain. And you and I were talking about the dash captains. Like, yeah. good choice, yes or no. Yeah. For having Car- Carly and Kalia, it, it's like I think there's a lot of things because of how the league is structured and how the teams are structured, where it's like, well, you have to play Carly because she's Carly. Carly has to be captain because she's Carly, or Alex has to be captain because she's Alex, or yeah, if you have Alex Morgan, you will automatically sell X number of tickets. It, it, it's like any of those assumptions, I think, just cause more trouble. Yeah, you know. So I'm jumping all over the place, but I, I, I agree with with Laura that that adversity you know, is probably building a better team long-term because I I was so impressed that she said we played poorly in those stretches and still won. Yeah. So that it it does, I think, creep into your mindset of like, oh, that's all it takes. Yeah. But the other thing that uh, ties into this, the other thing that I thought was interesting from today's press conference is her basically admitting when our midfield plays well, we're going to win games. Period. Yeah. And it's a discussion I have with Seattle fans a lot and other people, our friend Evan Davis and I yeah. talk about this on a podcast. I'm like, Seattle's defense isn't that great. You look at those players, they're all good players. They're not great players. This whole team this whole team involves. They're no good. Becky Sauerbrunn. There are no Becky Sauerbrunns in there. There's not even an Amy LaPelbet in there. Although Amy LaPelbet would be a bad fit on the way that Seattle plays. But Amy LaPelbet, <laughs> one of the best uh, pro defenders in the last two leagues, even though she missed one year of this, but yeah. stellar in the last league. That, that defense will sh- main, will win the ball, maintain possession, shield the defense, and if they don't do that, the defense is just not that good. And Laura said, when the when our midfield is playing at sixty percent, we're gonna win. We're gonna win games. We're about at seventy five today. If this 
bad stretch tells that midfield anything is that they need to get to 100% to win this league. And maybe now they know. With the time that Jessica Fishlock was out, the time that teams were able to take away some piece of their game when Bev Giannis was pulled back in the midfield, they know how important that midfield is to the team. And now, maybe that'll, that'll get that triad focused. And they will know how important they are to the team. And maybe when the finals come around, they know that nobody else is going to score the goal. They know that nobody else is going to create the goal. And they know if they don't stop the other team, nobody else is going to prevent the goal. Those three players have to carry the team. And it might be good that they know that now, as opposed to the next time Blackpool comes to town. Well, and let's throw it out there that um, she didn't really see much challenge today, but Hope Solo hasn't been in the sharpest of form this spring yeah. in league play. I'm not, yeah. not talking national team games. Um, but there's your crucial piece, especially a game like the NWSL final. You know, and Blacco had told Amy Rodriguez, it's going to come down to one tiny moment, just one tiny moment. And that's, that's all it was. Amy Rodriguez is such a legend. You can tell her it's going to come down to one moment. And as many times as we've seen her kick a ball eight Eight rows into the stands, she will find that that moment, that's that eight you know. inches of space at the near post. And, and we know that Hope Solo is that same player where it's like when she's in her moment, damn, like nothing is is getting away. The way she was on fire in that USA Brazil game in, in 2011, yeah, you know. So it's like I feel like along with that midfield, you're going to need her at, at that pace because the dash was not challenging her today yeah. so that she didn't she didn't have to be there yeah. but but we have seen some kind of not typical performances from her yeah and i think uh, one exi- the the portland game up here where she misjudged across and then Nadia Nadine was able to cut in front of uh, the defender and get in front of her the one thing i worry about with hope and this goes back to where her strengths are obviously her main strength is her incredible athleticism like to right. parallel athleticism i wonder if she needs to be somebody that needs to be engaged almost needs to have a shot against her every 10 minutes. Yes. Is she yes. somebody that, is she somebody when Amy Rodriguez goes on that run and Lauren Holiday finds her that she's going to come up big in that moment? Because we kind of have some evidence that Kansas City could be kind of held at bay for 75 you, minutes. Yeah, you don't want to be cold the whole game. And, and, yeah. and well, I don't want to put some myself goal, on the professional level. But, but when some I goalkeepers play, are keeper. better at that because yeah. they're so technically sound that they're not relying on their instincts, they're relying on their technique. Which, right. those don't get, those are... Weird to but I always felt better in goal after I had made a diving save. Yeah, just like oh, like, like 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 you said, you're you're engaged. Yeah. And think about all of the mindless friendlies she's played for the U.S. national team. That's where it too. Where, where where she's she's not engaged. Where most of her training is coming from non-game day. Where after a game, the field players like they had a serious workout. She probably needs to go. Yeah. You know, and then the the, the mental part that comes to it, like you like you said, like some can can separate that, and and they don't they don't need to be in the game. But yeah. I feel like I, I agree with you. She's she's much better when she's engaged in the game because once she makes one save, I don't think she's letting anything else in. Yeah, I, not every keeper is like that. Some yeah. keepers rely solely on their on their te- technique, their ability to set up at the right angle every time. They don't rely on their athleticism. But if you're somebody that does rely on their athleticism, their quickness, you're a little bit more apt to take those things for granted, the mental aspects for granted, which means you're probably a little bit more apt to not think that this attack that's building down the right is going to be the one that you have to seriously zone in on. So I, I don't want to say hope is that way, but I do wonder if she is that way. Whereas in a game against Brazil, where the U.S. had no business holding Brazil down that much, she's able to keep them in the game. Whereas in an NWSL championship game, where Amy Rodriguez didn't get eight shots in those games. 
she converted in single moments. I wonder if those are the points where her and a lot of other goalkeepers would fail. Yeah. And you think about this this past year, she's had so little games with, with real challenges, you know, yeah. the, the Shiva Leaves Cup, and, and that's about it, and of course these Japan games. But that's not related so much to Houston, Seattle, but I just, I feel good as a Dash fan coming out of this game as, as much as, of course, you want the three points, where it's like, we've never held them to a 1-0 scoreline. We've never yeah. held them scoreless that long. The defense that Randy's been working on for so long is finally coming together. And he, I mean, he, has, he has a serious lack of talent back there, too, yeah. compared to other teams. Like, yeah. Those players are all good, and I think their fullbacks are actually very interesting, yeah. but he has a lack of talent compared to other teams. I think we talked about this early in the day. It's very possible that the Dash this year continue to make major improvements, and it's not reflected in the standings at all. The league is just that deep. Right. And, I and think, when you only have 10 teams, like... I think that puts Randy in an unfair place. I think it puts Chris and Brian in an unfair place. I think it puts the players in an unfair place, too, because they, to me, defensively, and in a game like today, we saw it, they are clearly a team that's made a small step forward from last year yeah. when they were on the edge of the playoffs. And once they get their two best attackers back, you expect them to be even better, but they could very well finish seventh in the league this year. Yeah. It's just that competitive. Yeah, so. and it's each season has been so different. I mean, 2013 was barely impacted by the national team schedule. Right. 2014 had some interruptions that were kind of awkward where they're scheduling national team games the same day as NWSL. Yeah. Last, oh year was, last year was a little better. It's like, okay, there's this two-week break <laughs> for the World Cup, but they still didn't go totally dark, so it's even better this year. But yeah, it's like, so it's really hard. Also, the number of games played yeah. to do apples to apples because I think one of the things that really hurt the Dash the first season, especially when they weren't that deep, I mean, the last three weeks... They were an expansion they, team. No, they were playing, they were playing like a game every three days for three weeks straight. <laughs> you know, it's just like... And yeah. you're only traveling with 16 and... Yeah. Uh, well, okay. So, for people that made it this far, we did another <laughs> podcast before this without the soundtrack accompaniment. We did it in a Jen's hotel room here in Seattle. Uh, we mentioned it earlier. Most of you are already... Don't worry, Mom. There was a bundling board. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, there... Don't worry, Mom. Uh, everybody who listens to this should... Subscribe to the Mix Zone feed on iTunes. They should follow Keeper Notes on Twitter. Um, you should follow Haller on Twitter too because they will notify you also. You should follow me on Twitter too. And you should buy everything that I make that I put on my website for sale. You should also download. There's my shameless plug. <laughs> yeah, go buy the Almanac, which is called the Almanac at this point. It's the NWSL Almanac. The NWSL Almanac. If you actually want to be able to keep up with Jen Cooper's... Keep up with the Keeper. Fer- keep up with the Keeper. That's the title of her first album. Uh, with her ferocious level of women's soccer knowledge, the Almanac is a great start. Uh, and, yeah, I think that's it. So I'm going to hit pause now. See you guys. If you want to get in touch with the show, look up our page on SoundCloud.com. We're really trying to funnel everybody there. And if you leave a comment on one of the podcasts, I guarantee you I will respond to it. If you don't want to go to SoundCloud, hit me up on Twitter at, at Richard Farley, and I'll be sure to get back to you and answer your feedback about these early shows. And if you want to be on the show, if you're one of my friends out there that I've met over the years that's still covering these games, just drop me a DM and drop me an email. We can get you on the show as soon as possible. The whole point of all this is to talk to you some more we get a few listeners along the way, the more the merrier.
Both songs that you heard on this podcast are available at freemusicarchive.org, where you can get all kinds of free music for your audio projects. The opening song is by a band called Monk Turner, and it's part of this huge rock opera based on Greek gods. It's Zeus's song. It's called Oh Yes You Will. And then the song you're hearing under my words right now, it's from Tigerberry. It's called Get Out DCV. Pretty emo stuff. <laughs> 